So these uh, cat grooming gloves, that's what they're called, grooming gloves, get the full silicone one because you're going to get it wet and it's going to get nasty. You need something that's, it's almost like a dishwashing glove you'd wear. Get that one. And after the scalding step, just rub your hand over the chicken and actually all the feathers just glide off. No way. It's on my video. It's on the Odyssey video. If you look at there, right. I have a, a point where I actually demonstrate it. Now, I overscalded the chicken a bit, so it was like kind of cooked on the outside, so some skin okay. comes off too. But sure. if you scald it appropriately, all of that stuff just comes off. So instead of buying a $500 drum, you could buy $12 cat grooming gloves and just wipe your hand over it, and it's it's done. It, it did a really good job for me. It even got the wings, which are the, the classically the hardest part to get. Obviously, right. you're going to need to pull the flight wings out. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRosier. On the Farm Hop Life Podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio, a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. Good. Yeah, you got like a you got like a pro setup. Oh, this little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, your backdrop and like got the microphone right there. You look like you've been doing this forever. Oh, I know. It's a new studio. I'm about to start making new content again on the Farm Engineer channel. So uh, I've been gearing up for it. But man, it's been a long winter. It's been a lot to prepare. Um, my first year coming out of the gate, just boom, 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 doing stuff like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then the second year, a little bit, but not as much. And it's been like dealing with the fallout from what went wrong, uh, doing more of what went right, and then trying a bunch of new stuff. So it's been it's been eventful. It's been fun, but I'm finally got a handle on it. And if I was to do it all over again, it would probably take me six months to stand this place up. <laughs> There's been a lot of lessons learned. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about about the name Farm Junior. I watched I watched a couple of your videos. Well, thank you. And so so what is your like occupation then? Because like you, it looks like you work with like some electronic engineering. I do. I do. And that's funny. I intended to put more of that into the farm engineer, but what I ended up putting in more of was my experience doing manufacturing engineering. So my background is I'm an embedded uh, software engineer. So that means I make firmware. So okay. whether it's in your router for your home or it's in your thermostat, that's actually a big user of firmware uh, power hmm. tools. I worked at DeWalt Power Tools making firmware for some of their tool lines. So if you've used miter saws, you've probably seen my my firmware. So um, yeah, uh, I thought there was going to be more of that. And it turns out my experience going to factories in Thailand and standing up the production line actually was way more pertinent for starting out because a lot of whiz bang tools are fun and all, but mostly, uh, engineering is about taking people's labor and time and turning it in, you know, and transferring that labor and time over to a product and that product might just be a process. So uh, like the Japanese have a process, I think it's called, I think it's Kaizen. I always screw up the K words because there's a couple of, there's like, there's Kaizen and Kanban. I think I'm actually thinking of a Kanban, but it doesn't matter. You can look it up. But Kanban is just a process of binning spare parts and inventory. That's it. In mm. So you have these wire rack shelves that are kind of sloped and they'll slide down just like you would at a grocery store. Like a, if you pick up milk from there Can and you soup. can look, yeah, and you can look back and see how much milk you have. 
that is the basis of how you automate inventory. So no whiz bang products there. It's just how you stack stuff on the shelf actually makes a big difference. So I probably spent like two weeks organizing my larder so that I could just go back there and look to see what I have and what I need, like what I need to grow or what I need to buy, all that stuff, and then just roll with it. So I've not made any technology yet, but there's definitely some technology that's going to be coming in this next year. Um, like winds are crazy fast around where I am. For some reason on this plateau of Tennessee, they get to like 65 miles an hour gusts. It's nuts. Jeez. So I've actually built two greenhouses and they've both blown away. <laughs> They're, oh yeah, yeah. God. One's made of straw. The other one's made of wood. This third one's going to be made of brick though. I, that's a, a little pig <laughs> reference, but like this third one is going to be a timber framed edifice. It's going to be heavy duty because it's not nothing to mess around with. That, uh, you know, and I, I got started doing this homesteading thing because I was afraid of food security. And I think people still are. And it's, you know, you're one, whether it's some global event uh, or another, your food might be affected. I, I didn't know this. I was watching this uh, really interesting video today from this guy. I forget the channel name, so I, I apologize. It's something geography. He just talks about geography. And he put out a video, which, which produce, so every single major produce, and then which state makes the most of it? And guess which state makes the most, what, which state was topping a lot of the produce, you know, from avocados, peaches, or something like that, almonds. I want to say the default answer is probably California, but. Yeah, I'd say California was like number one and at least 50% of, of the items there. So, yeah. Wow. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, we're not that far from having another crisis of, of sure. uh, with them, you know, doing the truck. Uh, regulations for, uh, you know, I think it was trucks, any, any truck made before 2012, I forget. I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was any truck made between before a certain time is just illegal to have in California at all. Right. So if you can't move stuff out, like you could have a major crisis. Um, so the world's That's getting complicated. Point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was surprised. I just learned, you know, you take these disparate facts that you learn and you slam them together and then you realize there's a bit of a message going on. And yeah, food security is something that we should be trying to work on more. I, I left the suburbs of Maryland and I moved out to the middle of Tennessee. And my goal was to be able to grow all of my own food. Now, I'm not fully self-sufficient. You know, I buy stuff. You obviously have mm -hmm. to, unless you, you know, yeah. even in the post-apocalypse, like before, before civilization really existed, we traded. I think lime trading was actually one of the first trade, you know, first things people traded back in yeah. ancient Babylon or whatever. So I'm not fully self-sufficient, nor do I want to be, but I am food self-sufficient and then I can grow my own food. Um, easier than I thought it was going to be, actually. The uh, the growing it yourself is easier than you thought it was going to be? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. Um, so the way that engineers, engineers are lazy people. We are the laziest people in the world. Um, and we tend to get stuck into a problem. We will spend 10 hours in a spreadsheet uh, to save like a few hours of work outside. It's it's remarkable. Uh, so I spend a lot of time in That's front of true. a spreadsheet <laughs> putting together, yeah, putting together a nutrition uh, table. So when you look, when an engineer, what an engineer does to reduce the amount of time to design and build something is we look at what really is necessary to do it. Like when we shave off everything we don't have to do, anything that's like, oh, that would be really nice or that would be a big enhancement. We take it and put on a separate list and we get to it later, which is why a lot of your first products that come out of the door, 
tend to be kind of bare bones and not have a lot. Right. Um, you know, uh, makers right now tend to ship a product that has extra room for software to grow. So even though the hardware is frozen, it can grow in software. Uh, here, I took a look at what nutritional requirements I actually had, and then I grew to that. So I was hitting 100%. Uh, and any viewers out there, if you go to chronometer.com, you can sign up for free, and they have a full nutritional database. And you can put together like a daily plate. Um, it, the USD used to have this uh, service called uh, My Plate at the USDA that would do the same thing, but they just discontinued it for some reason. But chronometer does the same thing. Uh, and you can find out what you actually need to grow. You know, take your take your daily, you know, what gets you your 100% across your daily, and then just multiply that by 365, and that's your grow quota. That's it. Sounds easy. <laughs> it is easy. It is easy. And then you, I think I came up with I have to grow like five or six different things total. Um, I can even list them. They're they're easy to remember. Uh, it was uh, potatoes, buckwheat, which buckwheat's really easy to grow. It grows like a weed. Uh, potatoes, buckwheat, sunflower seeds, peanuts, uh, kale for vitamin K, and then uh, either hot peppers or sweet peppers for vitamin C. You can also do tomatoes, but tomatoes are like kind of a pain. Peppers are, you know, they kind of grow like weeds too, like especially sure. cayenne. Yeah, yeah. So there's like five things, five things that you have to, to grow to, to max out your 100% if you're a meat eater. Now, if you're a vegetarian, then you need to grow a bunch more stuff. Sure, uh, sure. But yeah, yeah. Uh, like here's a pro tip for all your vegetarians. You're going to go crazy trying to find out how to get calcium. Uh, the only the only food I really found that has enough calcium to be reasonable. And there's like a quarter cup of just poppy seeds. Now, I don't know how you're going to stick poppy seeds in your diet, a quarter cup of it. Jeez. <laughs> you're going to be eating a lot of bagels, man. Put them in your smoothies, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like uh, my wife makes this stuff every once in a while called overnight oats. And she she's put chia in there. So I wonder if you could throw poppy seeds in there <clears throat> either That's with or without the chia. You know, you know, actually, you might be onto something because a lot of cooking, especially traditional cooking before we had more global trade, um, was just trying to make your food palatable. Because you ever just try to eat oats, just eat oatmeal like the way they used to make oatmeal is they just take oats and then put it in cold water and just soak it like it's the same yeah. way you'd make rice. And that's pretty much that... what she does. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or milk or something. Yeah, man. I, if you I ever in don't a power... Yeah. I mean, milk would be an upgrade for sure. It, I've been in a couple of power outages and I've had to do that. And that is, that's just, it's just tough, tough to even like swallow. It just, it just feels weird. It's nasty, but yeah, it's, you might be able to do that. I mean, poppy seeds are not bad to eat. They're not terrible. But, it's, but a quarter cup sounds like a hell of a lot of poppy seeds. Yeah. You might need, you might need to like mill that down and put it in a pancake. Um, I think there I did a go. cup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a cup of buckwheat, uh, was about what I'd do a day as well. Um, if I was designing this diet, because it turns out buckwheat has a lot of minerals. Um, hmm. It has plenty of fiber in, too, in it, too. It's also really easy to process. I, I was going to do oatmeal because oatmeal is one of the better foods. Uh, but oatmeal needs to be, uh, it needs to be threshed, pulled, um, rolled, and that sort of, it just has a lot of process it. Whereas like buckwheat, you just take the dried bundle of buckwheat and you put it into a big burlap sack and just smack it around so you just really that's all it takes <laughs> yeah because you're just trying to separate the uh the seeds from the rest of the plant like okay. the seed itself has a hole around it but you can eat the hole you can actually just toss the whole thing into a, a, a mill huh. and mill it Neat. yeah and then you make it into a flour or you can roast it and eat it it's just a bit crunchy um but yeah it's, it's awesome, really nutritious actually. it's really good for you 
So about when did you move to Tennessee? Is that about like two years ago, about when you started your YouTube channel or? No, it's about right. Yeah, about two years ago. I started making videos almost immediately. Um, wow, nice. I, yeah, it was it was hot in the crisis, so I was very motivated to try and, and show people the way. And and it looks like the nutrition video itself just got people thinking, get their noggin jogging, because people try to grow all sorts of really complicated things. And I'm like, you really don't need to grow that. Um, and I, I try to grow, grow those things, too, just to learn. Like uh, uh, for sure. carrots, you think carrots are going to be like super easy. But if your ground has any sort of rockiness at all or just dirt clods or it's compacted at all, it's not going to turn out. I'm I'm trying this new method where I just have a mixture of sand and potting soil in one of those like black bins you can buy from Sam's Club, those big bins that they sell for like 20 bucks. I just filled one of those bins like 12 inches deep with, with sand and uh, and uh, this potting soil. And carrots are growing in there. We'll see what happens when they mature. But hmm. yeah, they get real bad if they hit a rock or something like that. You're going to have like stubby carrots that break off into a million pieces or a million branches. Yeah, and like if the soil is hard too, it'll just like push up the top of the carrot. And like oh, really? that's what can happen with uh with beets too. Like you'll have a third of your beet just like out of the top of the of the dirt. Wow, I've never seen that. that. It makes sense. And it's like, like all like woody and nasty tasting. I don't I don't really care for that. Dude, it is hard to it, it's actually kind of a miracle that food tastes as good as it does, like produce. It is so easy to screw it up. Like for me. Um, if you, if you leave stuff in the ground too long or not long enough, um, onions is a thing that I'm working on getting good at. Like I can't get yeah. nice bulbous onions. I'm, I'm, I'm ensure to just, if I did some studying up and looking up at it, it would be good. But there's also just a lot of real misinformation or, uh, <laughs> incomplete information because maybe people have been farming their whole lives and they take for granted that people know stuff like know some basics, but I don't, I didn't, I was just an engineer. Um, and I had this one book about slaughtering <laughs> and then uh, that book was missing so much information. So my first attempts at slaughtering were just so uh, it was a pandemonium. What um, did was, you say? How what it was you were trying to process? I did not. It was the chickens at first and then lambs. So I've slaughtered okay. probably about upwards of 30 chickens. Uh, I'm going to slaughter probably about half a dozen ducks soon. Hopefully that goes well. Um, and I've slaughtered two sheep slash lambs they're 10 month old lambs they're te technically lambs but they're they're pretty big sure. and and yeah like they don't tell you how the knife is supposed to feel when it's like cutting through so the first chicken i slaughtered i think we'd made like four or five goes at it oh god <laughs> and it was and it was the meat so we we tried to slaughter the giant mean bully uh rooster first right yep. as you do and this this sucker just would not die no matter what we would do. It was bad. It was it, it started to feel like that one uh, scene from Reservoir Dogs. And he's like bleeding because he'll bleed. He was bleeding for a while. And I was like, oh, finally, thank God we finally did it. And then he would stop bleeding. And then he would just get real mad and just laser eyes like upside down in this cone, just looking at you and just like starts <laughs> freaking like getting angry and like almost looking at us impatiently. We ended up having to chop his head off. Just, just straight up, like, okay, we got to yeah. end this because this is this is bad. I mean, he was a he was a bad rooster, but he's he doesn't he doesn't deserve this, right? <laughs> and yeah, it's true what they say. Uh, chickens, when you chop their head off, they they go for it, they run. Uh, this guy was <laughs> full tilt, jumping up. He jumped onto the air conditioning, con you know, condenser unit. 
uh, flew across the wall, did like a wall run, Prince of Persia style, hit the ground, and oh my gosh, yeah, it was it was nuts. I have a video that I did not put on YouTube because it was me explicitly slaughtering something. It's only on Odyssey. I'll put it on Rumble at some point. I have not cross posted Rumble, although my channel is reserved there. Sure. And actually, it's like a thirty minute video of me just going through the entire slaughtering process. And uh, there's a there's a part where I point at the cone that has the chicken in it. I just slit its throat, which is fully on the video. Mm-hmm. no blurring or anything and i tell you exactly how it feels to slaughter it like you hold its head in your hand like a walnut you tuck its jaw underneath your thumb like this you just tuck it in you take your knife against it and you press in uh it should feel like the amount of pressure to cut a piece of cardboard if you're using the knife hmm. cut a piece of card and then just maintain yeah the pressure I, and just yeah jump. okay yep i, I would agree yep. with that yep yeah cardboard's not too different than, from skin um oh and part the feathers like just take the knife and just sort of wheedle it in until you you have no feather because the feathers will block the blade sufficiently sure and then and then just hold it don't think about don't think just just let your hand draw it across yeah right yeah right under its under its jaw there right yeah. under its jaw i describe it as put the knife on the, the if, if your hand was like a hammer put your knife on top of the hammer rest it on there because first off if you if it's resting on top of your hand you can't slice your hand which is important good point um, <laughs> <laughs> and then just draw it. Uh, and I'm talking, I'm explaining what happens as this chicken is bleeding out. And I'm saying it's going to freak out pretty soon. And I point at the cone. I just point at the cone. And then it just immediately, like on cue, just starts, just the feet just start kicking. And that's exactly what it would do if it wasn't in the cone. That, that's why you use it. Um, right. Uh, I did yeah. not. They, they, the- they just like shake like crazy. I've actually oh, yeah. like just kept my hand on it just to try to prevent it from just like getting bruised and kind of beat up too bad yeah yeah exactly so were you using a cone yeah i was using a cone but um so part of part of a co-op i was a part of was like the montana poultry grows co-op where you could get like deals on feed and uh they had chicken processing equipment that you could rent for 50 bucks oh Oh, nice and so yeah it came with the scalder the drum and the killing cones and mm. I even think like a processing table that like you could hook up like a garden hose to it and had like a little sink and everything. But they only had, I can't remember what happened to the chicken cones. So I had to end up using turkey cones, which are like quite a bit bigger. Oh, yeah. 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 And so like there's a lot of room in there for them to like <laughs> get around. So you had yeah, to like kind of hold them down. Yeah, with, a, with an appropriate size cone, I don't think it'd be a problem. I just let mine go. Uh, but yeah. you know, it's a cool, cool tip. So those those drums, those plucker drums, cost about five hundred bucks, right? Um, yeah. If if you're doing, and this is another thing about engineering, there's a concept called engineering finance, which is a, a class I fully slept through. Um, it's very boring, but the idea of how you calculate an ROI is assign yourself an hourly wage. Like imagine. Okay, you're you're going to process chickens. How much is that worth? Is that ten dollars an hour? Okay, great. So that means if it takes uh, twenty minutes to slaughter a chicken, then that is one third of an hour. So that's going to be three dollars and thirty cents of your time, right? And that helps you put it into perspective because if your time is worth about three dollars, and you're going to save, I don't know, let's say you save ten minutes of that twenty minute process by buying the drum. Well, that's about one sixth of an hour. So it's like a dollar. Let's just say it's a dollar fifty, right? So you need to go through $500, which is the investment for the capital, divided by that $1.50, 
Okay. And that's the number of chickens you need to process to make it worth it. Now, rentals are good because you get to try the equipment out and measure it. Um, if you want to save time and you're not doing a really high volume of chickens, uh, there's a there's a concept in engineering so-called biomimicry. You ever heard of biomimicry? No, actually. It sounds cool. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's just when we steal ideas from nature. That's it in engineering. Right. So we could steal sure. like uh, from a bird. We can steal the profile of the wings to make a maybe an aerobatic aircraft versus a. And uh, then, and then forget that idea and actually just use taxidermy birds to, have you seen this? Where they basically <laughs> no, just, I've not, they, they re, uh, they reanimate dead birds to make them fly now, instead of going and try to doing it like mechanically, they just, oh my gosh, really <laughs> it, it, within I, like I the last month or so. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> like, that is hilarious. Bird, pigeon drones are now literally a thing. Okay. I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna look up pigeon drones. Okay. I, I mean, I've only seen the one taxidermied cat that someone turned into a quadcopter about five, ten years ago. Oh my gosh, I've was... not seen that. That sounds <laughs> that sounds awful. The cat is like stretched out, like all fours and all four directions. There's oh, the quadcopter. This is just this taxidermied cat chasing people. People are sick. Uh, engineers are weird, <laughs> and we have no boundaries. We have no boundaries and no chill, which is why we have so much trouble dating. It's just you only thought about how you could, not if you should. <laughs> It's correct. We don't care about should. We just we just go could. Like, oh, you know yeah. what? We could. We let the we let the uh, the. It's like the it's like a wins. comedian. Was like, good. That was yeah. Go ahead. It was like a comedian who tries out material. Like only until the audience starts gasping and freaking out. Maybe it's like then you then you pull it back some. I was like, okay, yep. we would pull it back. Found some, the line. Right? Found the line. <laughs> well, the um. Uh, biomimicry, right? It's, you steal ideas right. from nature. It's the same thing, right? So, okay, what peels a, what uh, peels? <laughs> Nobody peels a chicken. <laughs> what plucks a chicken, right? What would pluck a bird? Name an animal that does that. Uh, maybe, maybe like a coyote or like a dog, but they might just eat the feathers. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's think of another one. Maybe one that does the job more elegantly. Cause yeah, I would agree with you. Like a coyote or a dog would just wolf the whole thing down and just let its organ, like <laughs> let its intestines sort out the, I mean, obviously a person would, but you're talking an animal. An animal. Yeah, an animal. What animal eats birds? Other birds? So, so uh, it would be a cat, right? Okay. A cat. So what? So if you've ever seen a cat uh, pull the feathers off of something, it actually licks it. It licks the feathers off because the cat huh. has tons of little hooks on its tongue. And that's how a cat's tongue works. That's how it, okay. pre it preens itself. That's how it peels feathers off. Uh, if you ever want an education on what that is, just take yourself a, a dead chicken and throw it to one of your cats and you can all just watch. I'm sure there's a video on Live League somewhere. But I, I decided that after the scalding step, after I scalded it, what I did was I took full uh, silicon cat pruning like our cat cleaning gloves the, the ones that you rub against your cat to take the feathers off, or not feathers but the fur off right sure. <laughs> to, to take all that because it's built the same way it's built with these little fingers on it that get in between the uh what the idea was uh so physically how it works is that you have all these little uh protuberances from the tongue that kind of wrap around whatever it's gonna pull whether it's fur uh or even skin like cats will actually lick the skin off of things if anyone's ever been licked by a cat it's like sandpaper um, yeah it's a lot of little hooks hooking onto you and you get a lot of okay. surface area coverage. So these uh, cat grooming gloves, that's what they're called, grooming gloves, get the full silicon one because you're going to get it wet and it's going to get nasty. You need something that's, it's almost like a dishwashing glove you'd wear. 
get that one. And after the scalding step, just rub your hand over the chicken and actually all the feathers just glide off. No way. It's on my video. It's on the Odyssey video. If you look at all there, right. I have a, a point where I actually demonstrate it. Now I over scalded the chicken a bit. So it was like kind of cooked on the outside. So some skin okay. comes off too, but sure. if you scald it appropriately, all of that stuff just comes off. So instead of buying a $500 drum, you could buy $12 cat grooming gloves and just wipe your hand over it. And it's, it's done. It, it did a really good job for me. It even got the wings, which are the, the classically the hardest part to get. Obviously right. you're going to need to pull the flight wings out like pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so the drum was super handy. And one tip that I got was, was do two birds at once because the drums are rather uh, big. And so, so the chickens will actually just basically bounce off of each other nice. instead of, because if you do one at a time, it can do just kind of stuck and just kind of like spin. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then I had to, I had, I had to process a rooster when I didn't have this equipment. And so like I had to like scald it and kind of do it all by hand. And man, it took forever. But when I was yes. looking at how to do it by hand, um, I came across some footnote somewhere that said like they actually have chicken plucking contests in Wisconsin. And the oh, fastest, man. the world record or something like that for a plucked chicken is like four seconds. The guy, like the guy, just like you should just be able to like pull, like just rub, run your hands down, and it's done. Nice. If you did, if you did it right, and so I'm like, how many chickens do you have to pluck to get that good to <laughs> do do it in four <laughs> seconds? That's like a lot, man. That's 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 serious. That's heavy duty. I gotta go watch yeah. that. Well, yeah, it's amazing how fast you, it's amazing how fast you can get at something if if you have to do a lot of it. Right, do a lot of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the thing about doing all the homestead stuff is that people tend to want to use a lot of time. I've worked pretty hard to get my my daily time. It's probably like less than 30 minutes. And most of that is just chicken like stuff, feeding them, collecting eggs and that sort of thing. Uh, the gardening, I like do it lazy by growing things that don't need a lot of help. Like the buckwheat needs zero help for me. Sure. Uh, peppers need very little help. I fertilize them like once a month. Um, like a, I just use like a tablespoon of fertilizer. There's like nothing. Uh, you can also use like bone ash, which has a lot of potassium. Uh, there, there's actually a, a chart, like a PDF chart floating around on the internet that goes through every single type of fertilizer, organic or inorganic, and just tells you exactly what all the, the three numbers are, the, the NKP oh. numbers. Yeah, I can, um, I can email it. I could DM that to you. You can feel free to attach it to the description or something. It's really handy. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, will let you know what to do. It's just, I, I once heard from a good friend of mine um, when I was working on, on military drones, he said to me, uh, if you're not keeping score, then you're just playing games. And that's, that taught me a lot about how you manage your time and how you manage everything. That's a very good point. Yeah. So if you're keeping score on how much time you spend on things and how much money you're spending or how much material, right. Um, you don't have to worry anymore. You you know what you need. So like for me, I I did the math. And if I want a lifetime of peppers, it's like a 60 pound bag of fertilizer. Easy peasy. Now if I want to switch <laughs> to another one, right? I mean, I don't know what the long-term soil effects are going to be doing that. So I, I have some contingencies, but you got to keep score, right? So you're always checking stuff. Like what mm -hmm. what's the score, you know? Um, for me, like the, the the thing I'm working on right now is like I got food that just rots out here because of 
it's too packed in or there's some mm. malady going through or it's just been really wet lately because we've had like five inches of rain the last month. You know, it's, it's hard to keep score when nature's constantly messing with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Like all this rain is messing up my progress from like last year or, you know, like, do you, so if you're keeping score on everything, like do you, do you keep like a farm journal from like first year to the second year to the third year to the fourth year and so on? I, I do for a period of time. And then I kind of ease back because keeping score also takes time. And once you've kind of gotten to sure. a groove, like I kind of know what the number of eggs I should get is. And so I'll mentally just keep that in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, I got nine eggs out of 15 chickens today. Okay. I got 14 eggs out of 15 chickens on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I got like five eggs out of fifth out of those same 15 chickens. And I just sort of average that up the end of the week. I'm like, okay, am I in the ballpark? Cause they're going to fluctuate on a daily basis. Right. Um, and then like, I'll notice a problem and then I'll address it. Like I found out one of my chickens was causing like, it was funny. It's like the, it's like the lady's bathroom, right? There's just a, there was a line of hens to the egg box. Like they just all couldn't get in. And this one hen I got in there, she's taking up the whole thing. Cause she's getting kind of broody. So I ended up, so I ended up just reaching into the box while she's in there, grab her and just put her into a different pen just to, just to throw her off a little bit. So she stops being broody, but also shows she like clears up the egg box. Cause it was affecting my egg production. Interesting. Can you do that? Does that bother them a lot? Uh, I mean, it does, she's a little lonesome, I guess. And she kept trying to get back in. Um, but after about a week, she got used to it and she's on a routine now. Mm. Um, chickens don't really seem to like each other. <laughs> they, tr they can kind of trust each other, but I don't know if they build like deep bonds with each other. It's not like cows, sure. right? Like if you separate cows, they'll, they'll get really depressed uh, if they have a best friend and you separate them. Uh, sheep as well. It takes sheep like you You kind of measure the amount of bonding uh, by how long you can separate them and how how long it takes for them to get over it. Right. Hmm. So for the sheep, when I separate the lambs from the mom, it's, it's like two months for, for a two month old sheep. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's freaking out. Yeah, so yeah. your your lambs, what what breed did you end up going with? Oh yeah, yeah. So my my okay, this this gives me a good segue actually into just before I follow the locals. Like when you go into a foreign area, the first thing you do if you land at Plymouth Rock is you probably should talk to a Native American and see like, okay, what's up here? If you go to South, if you hit Cape Town and you're in South Africa and you're one of the first explorers there, you should just ask the locals what grows well, right? You don't try to like reinvent the wheel and don't force your will on it. I talked to them. And they said, first off, get a hair variety, not a wool variety, because the maintenance on it. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, that's sensible. And also, like, it gets really hot here. It gets really hot, and it gets really cold here. Um, we got hit with negative 14 Fahrenheit in the winter, this crazy polar vortex thing or whatever that was. That does sound uh, cold for Tennessee, for sure. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, I'm up in the plateau, so we're actually in the same, uh, like, climate zone. We're up in the same climate zone, bless you. As <laughs> Thanks, I was trying to hide that as best as I could. You can't hide from me. I'm watching you. <laughs> the um, I'm in the same climate zone as freaking Boston, Massachusetts, right? Because I'm in the plateau. Yeah. I'm I'm elevated, which mm. the elevation is a blessing and a curse. We get a ton of rain up here. I'm in the rainiest part of Tennessee at like I don't remember how many inches, but it was a lot. It was uh, it's the most number of inches in Tennessee. I want to say it was like. 
70 sounds like too much, but it might actually be about right. We get crazy amounts of rain here. That does sound like a lot. Holy smokes. We're in a ma- it, yeah, I, I got to double check that. Maybe I might be mistaken. It might have just been something else, but uh, it's a lot of rain here. Um, so tons of rain, major temperature swings, you know, negative 14 Fahrenheit up to, I mean, it was like 94 today. Okay, so I got to have a sheep that deals with that. It's not like Scotland where it's just always kind of balmy all year and then gets cold. Uh, so I went with Katahdin. Uh, Katahdin and Dorper work well. If you want pure meat, like Dorper is the way to go, but Dorper also needs to be dewormed. Uh, they, I guess mm. they just eat whatever. Like they're just, I mean, it's a meat sheep, right? So like a meat chicken is just going to eat voraciously. I would imagine. Sure. Right. Which right. means if it, yeah. And if it's not very discriminating, it's going to, uh, and it's a ruminant. So it's not like a pig, like a pig can eat voraciously and then just passes everything through. It's like a goose, right? It's just, it's in one, one end out the other. Um, but, as a ruminant, they're going to have, they're going to process grass for, I don't, I don't know, like two weeks. So it takes, so a worm has two weeks to, to work in their system. Uh, so uh, Katahdin were, were a little easier going in terms of worming. Uh, uh, shoot. Greg Judy, a regenerative farmer, pasture, pasture guy. He's great. He suggests Katahdin as well. So I was glad to see some corroboration there. But at about half acre per adult head, uh, I've got about five, six now, actually. And, and one's, one's very pregnant. I need to do something about her. Uh, and, and one was pregnant, la- like uh, one lambed last year, and the other one lambed and had stillborns. So I'm keeping it on the stillborn one. If she keeps having stillborns, I'm going to have to take her away from the sure. ram because I don't think it's healthy for her to keep doing that. I could sure, sell her sure. or slaughter, but I could honestly, I don't like mowing the lawn. So I like to keep them. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. the reason why I got them in the first place. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we're actually considering getting goats for the same reason. Um, I didn't mm. think I would ever be into goats, uh, but <laughs> but I I also don't mow. But and I just kind of like let the yard go this year, which wasn't really much to begin with. But and the cheatgrass took over, and I hate cheatgrass. It's uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. It is like no, the not. most. It's the most worthless like plant and it's like wicked like it spreads wicked fast so like you walk through it and it's like the little seeds stick to everything like um i guess like not muck boots or like cowboy boots or like your bare skin it wouldn't stick to those three things but like it sticks to shoelaces it sticks to sandals it sticks to like just whatever blah blah blah. it's so it's super annoying what you can do is when it's like soft still like still growing maybe four to six inches tall you can turn out ruminants on it such as cows or sheep or goats and they will eat it actually but because otherwise if it gets too grown like those seeds just poke them in the mouth and they they don't like that oh really yeah and then the other reason i was thinking about getting goats is that for like a pack animal i was thinking about renting them out for people that go hiking near me, it's like, hey, would you like to not carry your 40-pound backpack? I got, <laughs> I got goats. Or like people that want to go hunting. or And like, I'm pretty sure the goats, you can just like let them browse wherever on anything instead of like having to haul in hay for the horses. So Yeah, I think once you get goats, you're going to find out what their demeanor is like and see if that's going to work out. Sure. 
the one thing about goats is that they are kind of escape artists. So my neighbor has goats or had goats. He sold his flock um, and he had to have electric fences and not high fences. I think they're probably like four, four feet high. Nothing, nothing crazy, but you have to get the, the properly sized squares for the fences. Right. Because uh, if they if they can get their head through and they have horns, they'll just get stuck and then they'll dehydrate and die. Uh, right. the electric fence. Electric fence helps that keeps them keeps them away from it. Uh, I think it depends on the demeanor of the the goat. Like if you have a female goat, which I don't know what that's called. I'm sure there's a word for it. There's a word for everything. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a female goat would probably be pretty agreeable to be a pack animal. Now, the male goats are super um, uh, they're active in all sorts of ways. <laughs> and then I get a bit excitable and like try to fight you. Uh, the goat, my neighbor's goat, like would ram anybody who'd go near it. Just like it's just how it say hello. Yeah. It's like how it would goat. say hello. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't feel like there's any ill will uh, from these animals. I have a, a ram myself. He's a, I got him from this weird fella. Uh, it was almost, I felt like a rescue when I bought him because like it was a tiny little pen. It sucked. But these are white dolls, allegedly. Uh, massive horns. They're used for hunting in Alaska. Like you go and hunt them in Alaska. Hmm. Um, but there's some kind of hair sheep. I do believe this guy is a, is a white doll because he's massive. He's probably 250 pounds. Of, That's of a rain. big, big sheep. Yeah, he is, man. He's huge. Uh, when you look at him, he you just looks like him. a thumb. I could try and ride him. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I have. I'm not going to confirm or deny that I may have tried that at some point. I may or may not have, right? <laughs> and it may or but, may not have been successful. It may or may not. No, it definitely may not have been successful. <laughs> I mean, if, they, if there was a may on whether I've done it, there's there's no may on whether it was successful. It was a, it was a, it would have been a failure if I had tried it or not. Anyways, the, the um, this guy will he loves me right because I feed him lovely pellets and sweet feed. I scratch him and help him shed hair and stuff. I take care of him. Uh, he'll ram me though in a second, and he'll like come up to me and he'll like say hello and nestle his head against me and then he'll and then i'll see him back up he just starts backing away don't from me do it and i'm like don't yeah do it don't do it so what <laughs> and he's huge again 250 pounds and what you got to do is you got to close the distance as fast as possible like he's backing up i need to get up on him and just mm. tuck my arm like underneath his head and just give him a good you know good scratch on the back try to get him to change gears but at the same time I'm walking us both towards my escape route. <laughs> sure. Um, That's very, has, very clever. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta kill him with kindness, right? You can't let them right. know that you're agitated because uh, they could smell it and they get agitated. Sure. Um, but no, he just, that's how he says hello, man. He just, he just backs up and rams you, but he has rammed me successfully once. That was very painful. That was pretty bad. Just imagine someone full force, just kicking you in the, Actual butt, actually, yeah. It was the last time I turned my back on him. Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> I saw this video not too long ago. It's a compilation. Same guy, same ram. But, like, every time he's, like, doing his feeder or whatever, the ram sneaks up behind him and just gets him every time. It must have happened, like, 10, 12 times in this video. I'm like, man, I think I'd – he must really like having that ram around. Otherwise, I think he'd be jumping. <laughs> like, just, you got to go. He's a glutton for punishment. That's probably the highlight of that Rams day, by the way. It's like, oh, probably. <laughs> oh, sweet. Something to do. Bam. Bam. Well, and I see the thing is, it's really adorable. Uh, 
I know it's friendly because he does it with the female sometimes, like a little light touch, like a little tiny sure. light ram, a little loving one. But when he's got um, lambs, like male lambs, right? And he's raising them and they're getting to age. It's very sweet because he'll do like a really little light one to just sort of train them up. And they're getting so excited and they want to go and fight daddy. And uh, they, they, they give it their all and it doesn't really do much. And, but, and he gives them a little nudge back. Uh, unless it's feeding time, then there's nothing sweet about him. He just will just straight up like broadside you, just just knock you out of the way. <laughs> so, That's the children learn who's boss whenever I put put sweet feet out for him. That's really good. <laughs> so, um, what's what's been one of the biggest challenges in homesteading that you face so far? Uh, the biggest challenge on the land has definitely been weeds and pests, man. They grow faster than anything. And I mean, I'd say as soon as you see a pest, again, like when you're going out there, you're, most of your time is going to be spent on just inspection, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing things right. Because um, if you're inspecting and that's what you're spending all your time on, you're not spending time on remediation, as in fixing mistakes, and you're not spending time on planting or something else because you've already automated it or you made it you made it into a process right like all of your every every month or so you'll get your succession planting seeds in and that's and you do it in an afternoon drink a beer enjoy that and then that's it right um, but inspection is like a daily thing uh, aphids are the devil they'll just show up and you'll see them one day you'll see like one or two one day and then you'll see an entire vine of tomatoes just covered them within a week like if you if you give it, I remember one time I just didn't have time to spray for them, and I had, I just we had to wait one day, and that one day was enough for them to do enough damage to cause the oh tomato to just succumb to rot. So you, uh, I now keep all of my pesticides on site. It's like a it's like an IFAC kit, like a, a first aid kit. Sure, <laughs> it's just sure, out sure. there, like bolt like bolted to a pole. I have a an airtight container that just contains some some pesticides that are like right there on site so i you know break in case of aphids or something like that i just pop the case <laughs> open i pop the case open i give it a spritz on site right then and there um starting to, starting from where it's you know comes out of the ground because that's where they climb up from so okay start there that that solves a lot of problems and then you hit the uh locations you know all the way up give it a spritz all the way up and yeah man that's that's been Probably the biggest challenge that and that and weeds. But if you're vigilant, it's not a big deal. If you're vigilant, very easy to keep them under control. Uh, don't let weeds go for more than a week. Don't let other pests go for more than a day. Is has been my rule here. Gotcha. So that that pesticide, like, do you make your own or what do you use? A uh, pesticide is not something I'm very. Um, I haven't researched into it, right? There's a, there's a great YouTube channel and I love what he does. I think it's called Project Farm or something like that. And he just mm. will take, I, I watched an hour long video on bungee straps. He just took like six different brands of bungee strap and was like, we're going to do a pull test, retention test, and then we're going to age it in the sun for like six months. And then we're going to do another test after we've aged it. And I was like, that was fantastic. Good head, you know, head to head comparisons. Mm. I would love to do that with pesticides, but since I'm ignorant, I go full like scorched earth. I have seven dust, which is like okay. your go-to. Like I need to kill everything in the sure. room right now. Like <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but um, 
If I was going to go homemade on it, I've heard that tomato or sorry, potato plants are a nightshade and you can actually use like, I think it's called solarium or something like that. I forget what the actual toxin is. Sounds somewhat familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the solar name because of, um, it's the same as tomatoes or something like that. Anyways, it's the, the toxin in there. You can actually boil it and render your own. So if you really wanted to make a homemade pesticide, that might be something to try. I've not tried it myself. Uh, I just harvested a ton of potatoes. I should have harvested the greens. Dang, I'll have to remember the next time. Whoops. That's luckily like potatoes just just grow. Like in three weeks, I'll probably have greens again. Um, I'm trying Kennebec potatoes this time. Apparently, that's what restaurant quality French fries are made from. So did not know that. I just thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your standard I, Idaho potato. Yeah. Yeah, apparently that's the, the the factory farms will use those ones to uh, produce it. So if you go to like a really nice Michelin Michelin star restaurant, that's that's the potato they use to make fries. Who knew? Interesting. Yeah, who knew? But yeah, um, that pesticide. I've tried neem oil. That does not work on aphids. <laughs> if it works on something, I haven't found it, so I don't use neem oil anymore. Okay. Um, I have I've used, heard of it. Yeah, it's people swear by it, but the people who swear by it must have never tried it. I mean, it doesn't maybe it works for them. It doesn't work for me. Um, gosh, there was one. Oh, yeah. Here's a crazy trick. If you've got fruit trees or other types of trees and you don't want stuff climbing up to eat those trees like beetles. Have you ever seen a beetle fly? There's no there's very little chance that a beetle is actually going to land on anything on purpose. Like they're just it's something like it's like someone stuck a stubby rocket to a school bus and tried to have it fly around like just you know, it's not going to land on the tree. So what they do is they have to climb up. And uh, this one actually has worked for me is if you just take Vaseline or something like that and just put rings of Vaseline up the trunk. Huh. Tree. Yeah, it stops ants too. They can't make past it. There, There's a really good video. I don't know who made the video. It's been a long time. But yeah, ants don't, can't walk across it. So That's, it takes care of beetles. Takes that makes a ants. lot of sense. Yeah, it's just Vaseline, super cheap. I, uh, I was driving through this really small town that I'm working out of. And I saw some guys garden, like made out of like pallets and everything, like up the side of his house. And so I oh. stopped to talk to I'm like working on like a Twitter thread about it, like right now, but I stopped nice. to talk to him about it. And one of his tips was, um, dry. What did he say? Dry mustard, mustard powder, um, mustard powder around, Use this mustard powder around his potatoes for certain pests, but I don't think he said specifically what it was. It was like broken English. So it was like kind of like I had to work really hard to like listen and understand what he was trying to say. Like it, he's like, not ketchup, yellow. Oh, <laughs> and so I'm like, mustard. He's like, yeah, but, but dry. Oh, so, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, we, we got there. But, but anyways, yeah, he was like, put mustard powder on the ground to prevent pests. Like, they don't like it. And I'm like, hmm, I've never heard that no. one before. That's interesting. I mean, I don't really know what the chemical composition of mustard is. But uh, if, he's, if he's going after a bug, the bugs I know that go after potatoes are usually Colorado potato beetles. Those are, those are a, a wreck. Those are the kind of things that, like, within a week, like, you see those within a week, you got to take them out. If anybody doesn't know, you can Google what they look like, but they have pretty much an orange shell, hmm. um, and you you won't be able to miss them. Okay. They'll your your potatoes probably shouldn't be alive though long enough. Like you should be have harvested them. Like this year, I harvested them long before anything could really predate on them. Um, 
maybe I got lucky or something like that. But maybe uh, my first, yeah, my, my first year, the potatoes got absolutely eaten up and I got very little potato out of it. This year I got like 88 pounds in two eight foot by four foot beds. That was pretty good. That worked out. It was a lot of potato. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just giving, I'm just giving it away. Uh, I didn't really think that through. I don't have enough refrigerator space for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure something out. I got. You're gonna have to engineer a a uh, root cellar. (laughs) I might have to. We'll see. The the area I'm in is sandstone, so it's just like strictly jackhammers. Once you're about a foot down. Oh jeez. I mean, but like you're in sandstone, so once you've dug it out, it's pretty stable. So, but (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) Again, the rain though. The rain we have here is really heavy duty. So out of that, (laughs) it could flood out real quick. I don't know. There's. there's no wind when it comes to wind and rain and weather. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, I might try a, a cellar. Uh, I think I'm going to build um, probably, gonna, I mean, this is self-indulgent. It's not actually like a farmer thing. I'm just going to build a, I want to build a bathhouse is the next thing I want to build. Like a, maybe like a Roman bathhouse. <laughs> just yeah, that'd be take, sweet, a, take man. a concrete <laughs> saw and just cut into the sandstone. How would you seal dumb. it? So what? Isn't sandstone porous? So like wouldn't all your water just like I wouldn't, but yeah, I'd build this over. I'd build this over top of ground. It'd be it'd be strictly Finnish, mm. um, as in the Finland, right? Like sort of sauna bathhouse kind of thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But gotcha. Yeah, I. When it comes to people's remedies, some of them work really well, and I always start going full scorched earth, and then I want to try the remedies because the first order for me, at least, the first order of business is: can I grow the food? Uh, this sure. is a mistake that a lot of rookie engineers make and a lot of rookie people make. I'm not saying that anybody who makes this mistake is a rookie, but it's an easy mistake to make, right? Is you try to be, um, I wouldn't say s- s- gentle. You're trying to be gentle from the start. And sometimes you got to go in more hard. And then once you've gone in hard and gotten business done, grown the stuff you want to grow, then you can actually, it's easier to peel from back because then you're at least starting from a place that's working. Um and once you right. start from a place that's working, then you it's really easy to peel back and, and try stuff out. So one and I have, also the I've confidence. heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then once the confidence is built, like it feels great. You don't feel like you're 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 worried anymore. You don't feel like you're like worried about failing. You're just like, oh, okay. Well, this you get to blame the method and not yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> once you've yeah. succeeded. Yeah. And then even if like let's say like you use you use seven dust on your stuff. Well, you know that you did that. It's not like I wonder if this thing I'm buying they use seven dust on it, like and how much, right? And how often? And all these questions, like you you already know. Yeah, I, I use seven dust very um, conservatively as well. Like there's spots sure. where you put it. Like I get to when a factory farm or something like that is is going to just spread it wherever. Actually, I think it might right. be, I don't know if it's legal for them to use seven dust and they have to use the, the liquid, but they, mm. they put it all over because they have to work against a clock. For me, I can right. waste an extra five minutes once a month or, I mean, the application interval is 10 days, no less than 10 days. So let's say I was doing it at maximum interval, like as fast as possible. I mean, so every 10 days I might spend another five minutes and put the dust in something that, that I can like, dispense like think of like a gold bond <laughs> like dispenser where you can puff it out i right. can actually just puff it on the on the vegetation part of the plant and not the actual vegetable of the plant sure because yeah. it 
one part about seven dust is if you try to wash it off, it's actually quite a pain. And I don't like to have that mm. on the actual fruit itself. Right, right. And, and luckily, most animals are not actually trying to eat the tomato or the fruit itself. They're eating the leaf. So I don't, yeah, I don't really care about that. And you you don't, you don't need more than like a ring of it. Because as soon as the animal, as soon as the pest has touched it and is carrying it, it's done. Like it's going to die. Okay. So you, yeah, you don't have to like blast the whole place with it. Sure. Were you the one that made the comment on the, uh, it was like a conventional farm and there was like the specialized tractor that used AI and lasers to like oh, yeah. burn weed. Were you the one that left the comment? You're like, yeah, in a week, that's going to be full of weeds again. Was that you? Yeah, it was, uh, they were, I guess they were shooting at pests or something. I thought it was yeah. weeds, but it, who cares? It's the oh, same. Process, yeah, it, right? it's same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Dude, you could kill. Killing an individual pest is not the thing of it, right? It, it was a really cool product, and I thought it was like really impressive for for people that don't have never grown anything. But imagine if you went out to your plant, right? Let's say you went to a plant, uh, and you just took like a red hot poker and just jabbed individually every single pest on there. And just imagine to yourself, like, how long would that stay good for? Not very long. Like one of the main reasons why people use pesticides, one of the main reasons why pesticides work is that it sticks to the surface. It continues killing for a period of time. Sure. Um, this is like 10, it might be 10 days or a month of, of killing power there. So if I use like uh, slug stuff, like slugs love to eat my peppers. They love to eat um, peppers. Actually, they eat everybody, everything I, I grow. <laughs> but anyways... Around the base of whatever I'm growing, I put down this slug bait or slug uh, uh, pesticide. It comes in these little pellets, and I'll make like a little little fairy ring looking thing around my plants. That fa- I want that thing working all day. It needs to be working there constantly because I right. guarantee you, underneath the like about a quarter inch underneath the dirt is more pest larvae that are just gonna that are just maybe a day or two from hatching and coming out of the ground. Right. I I'm I don't know the secret life of pests, <laughs> but they are prodigious and they come back and they multiply and you can't, you have to have something that has some staying power to keep them, keep killing them. It's not a one-time event. Sure. Right. So then what would you say is the best part about homesteading? Oh, the best part about homesteading is first off, like, okay. Ask your, for anybody out there for, or for you, Matt, if you get any kind of anxiety from the outside world, that is your your best thing about homesteading is you don't have to worry about that anymore. Like you feel better. You feel better. Now, the economy might crash, but I have a lifetime of fertilizer in the shed back there because I only need 60 pounds and I'm growing peppers for the next century, right? Because I only use like a tablespoon a month per, per plant. And I only need two plants per, per year to grow all the peppers I need. I know, I now know what I need. It's a, it's an, it's a, innate measurement it's that keeping score like i'm no longer i'm no longer counting on the world to work like clockwork anymore right you could have a bad decade you could have a bad year you have a bad week some people are one bad week away from freaking out like if you live in a city or something and they don't have and the trucks just stop showing up for whatever reason i mean you're gonna you're gonna freak out immediately so my my time horizon for anxiety is very distant in the future. I'm not worried about anything in particular that's within the decade. Um, 
I kind of know how much toil it takes. I, I've, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed that my property has like three different sources of water if you include rain. Because I got rainwater. I have a pond that collects runoff. So that needs to be distilled. But I also have a natural spring that's deep in my forest that I have to pipe over or, yeah. Yeah. It, I was super lucky. I didn't discover that till like a year into owning the place. But no I, way. I heard, you didn't mean it, to buy that? What? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Welcome to the plateau. I, it's the, um, because I heard like a sort of rumbling in the, in the forest while I was out hiking. I was just, I was just going to check out my forest and see what's going right. see what's up. And I started hearing the babbling brook and I was like, well, I got to go follow that, see what's going on. And it's just coming out of the ground and it's crystal clear. I was Amazing. like, dang, okay. I haven't put it under a microscope yet, but I assume that there's, if there's any pathogens, you could boil it out. But like the concerns for water sources is usually like heavy metals or, but I'm fairly certain that this spring water comes from rainwater uh, seeping into the ground when they're coming hmm. out. Cause again, we get tons of rain up here. So yeah, the best part about homesteading is you don't have to worry about things anymore. Like the, the, it's the troubles of mortals. Now <laughs> it's not, it's not your troubles. You get to sit here uh, on Mount Olympus and watch as people freak out because apples are more expensive. Yeah. That's another example. Like I didn't know that eggs had gotten expensive until like a year and a half into it. I didn't, I just had no idea how much eggs cost. I haven't had to buy eggs. Sure. About six months into me moving here, I've had a supply of eggs, more eggs than I can count, more eggs than I care to. I almost started using them as target practice, but then I thought that'd be kind of disrespectful. Um, so I just give them my neighbors for free. Maybe just one. Maybe just one once in a while. <laughs> if I had a slow-mo camera, I'd have more reason to do do dumb crap like that. But <laughs> There you go. I know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, shoot, shooting eggs, that's one of the best parts of homesteading. <laughs> the um, yeah, I'd say that, and the fact that your food is way better, like your food is significantly yeah. better. Um, like the potatoes I have are. If you think potatoes are like a boring thing to eat, this this is why people give the English so much crap about not having a lot of spices and stuff. It's like if you actually don't need it. I I I raised my own chickens. I raised broiler chickens, and. I, I get like some of the best chicken soup by just boiling a chicken and then adding carrots and noodles. That's it. That's it. Yeah, like I, I just boil. Yeah. So it's like people talk about, you know, early Irish immigrants, the 1800s or the early 1900s. It's like, oh, they boiled a lot of meat. It's like, it tastes really good because the meat's really good. Um, even, even if you're not a culinary genius, your food's going to be significantly better. Uh, Michelin star chefs would kill have the food that you have. So you have this ultimate luxury, good food, just yeah. kicking it and, and you're anxiety free. You're enjoying whatever fruits you have of your labors. You also feel like you're contributing to everything that's there. You understand it. Um, it's far more rewarding. It's, it's way better than just going to a grocery. I mean, I don't mean to be like a jerk and be like all those bougie guys, at the grocery store, but it, it does make you feel way better. Uh, I have infinite meat now as well with the lambs. I get like 50 pounds per lamb and I probably am going to have, an average of eight lambs a year. So that's a lot of meat. That is a lot of meat. Holy smokes. Yeah. But man, so. it's good. Yeah, man. It's really good. Those those hair sheep, we looked at hair sheep a while ago and just haven't pulled the trigger on it. We we had found a different variety. It was also, uh, let's see, what was the name? Dang it. It's been a little while. There's doesn't a matter. Saint maybe maybe okay, yeah. maybe it'll maybe it'll come to me. It w definitely wasn't Saint Croix. It was something else. Okay. Um, so that's what it is. So a s o a y. They're like Scottish oh. or something. Um, so that that lamb 
because they don't have the wool, there's less lanolin in the meat. And so it has a more mild lamb flavor. Oh, really? So like someone that no normally eats lamb, they're like, hey, this is like way too strong of a flavor. Try a different breed. And because oh, like I and my wife was like, this is really good. I could eat this all the time. <laughs> That's interesting you bring that up because I've had so many people tell me that the lamb that I've raised here is so much better than any lamb they've had before. It doesn't have that like yeah, again, like that off taste. Sure. That people have. I think I think all my neighbors and my family have eaten more lamb than I have. It's still weird. I still have <laughs> I bought a freezer beef the first thing. Right. It's it's just still weird to me because I was there when I was like shooting it in the head and, and cutting into pieces. It's still so I'm like go working through my beef reserves <laughs> before I like finally pull the trigger and start. I've eaten some right. of it. It was really good. It was really good. Um it's a yeah. That Butter, is, uh, garlic, and rosemary is about all you need for lamb. And it's just, just classic. Maybe a little salt and pepper, but yeah. There you go. Perfect. I'm, I'm going to try milking uh, my ooze next time they are pregnant. Um, but that is not an easy thing to do. There's a, some good YouTube videos on that. I don't know how those ladies do it because whenever I try to milk the ooze, they want none of it. Uh, they... <laughs> So it's going to be bad. We'll see. I have this uh, pump thing that you can use. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be bad. It's going to be slapped. They're going to ram sure. you. I and they might. They might have to activate their inner ram and uh and do a lot of things. It's it's going to be me chasing them with a suction tool probably. I'm going to have to I might have to build like a uh, uh, some sort of device. I think they call it a shoot or something like that where yes. you, they get in there and you got to clamp basically you clamp them down. <laughs> yeah, those things are expensive. I think, like uh, at least the ones for cattle are, but everything for cattle yeah. is expensive. So, yeah, like three thousand dollars, man, it's nuts. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'd try to build my own ramshackle one. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm a pretty good carpenter by now. Um, yeah, yeah. If you use um, anybody out there who uh, wants to do any carpentry, uh, dowel joinery is probably the easiest one to do. You just clamp the wood pieces together, and then you ram it through with a with a drill, and then you just hammer the dowel in. With a bunch of glue, if it's just crying glue from every crevice and crack, then you've put enough glue in, and if you hit it hard enough, <laughs> but it makes it for real, real strong carpentry. That, that is true. Uh, last question: What would you tell sure. people that want to get started? Start easy, man. Just like it, just like anything, uh, whether it's a workout regime, whether it's a new diet, or whether it's going to school, like going to college. Start light. Get results as fast as you can. Um, like here's an easy one. Take some dirt, take a pot, take a nice broad pot of, uh, of dirt and then put lettuce seeds into it and just water it. Keep it watered every day. Give it a little bit of water. And within a week you should start to see sprouts. That is the beginning of your journey. Cause you've just, you've just sprouted something from seed. And there's a lot of people that have talked to me and they've never done that before. And they're kind of like at, you know, a little anxious mm. about it. If, if anything's making you anxious, do the, take an experiment. And do a, like a real easy version of it. Just do real easy. Uh, homesteading should not feel like a plunge. It should feel like a series of steps, series of small, easy steps. If you take a plunge, you're gonna you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna bicker with your your spouse. <laughs> you're gonna, and you might not get very much done anyway. But if you take little steps, make habits, and and be really, um, I guess. Uh, Here's the top five easiest things to grow. Here, top five list for YouTube. Uh, lettuce, as I've mentioned, uh, cucumber, sunflowers, also really easy to uh, do from seed. 
uh, buckwheat, as I've mentioned before, although buckwheat's not very exciting. So, and uh, <laughs> last one I'll do is uh, a zucchini. That's also really easy. Rule of th- like the general rule is that the bigger the seed, the easier it is and the faster it's going to sprout. Um, hmm. If you want to be disappointed, you could go try herbs, but herbs are, are really finicky. They have a high failure rate. I've noticed for, that. Uh, yeah, for germination, the seeds are really tiny and it takes them forever. Well, awesome. Hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could finally do this Um, because, yeah, we we were scheduled a couple of weeks ago and I can't even remember the reason it worked out. Probably it was work or something like that. And then uh, now I'm I'm supposed to be working and I get to screw off and do this, do this interview. So (laughs) I, I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I am Matt DeRosier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. Welcome to your farm to help and to truck and an RV send us a message and there